Welcome back to another episode of uh, Jake's Takes. My name is Jake. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the podcast. And on this week's episode, I want to look at a few matchups uh, in the playoffs. And I want to look at the Boston Celtics versus the Brooklyn Nets. I want to look at the Milwaukee Bucks versus the Chicago Bulls. I want to look at the Memphis Grizzlies and the Minnesota Timberwolves. And the Golden State Warriors and the Denver Nuggets. So I want to look at those four matchups and then... In the next podcast, we will look at the other matchups um, as uh, uh, that episode comes available. So we're going to start with four and then go with four before it's, you know, the start of um, these games. Um, So let's get started and let's go from there. So we have the Eastern Conference and we have what many believe to be one of the most... uh, closely watched matchups in the first round, which is Boston Celtics and the Brooklyn Nets. And for the Celtics and Nets, it's basically the Celtics who many believe are underdogs in this one, even though I don't think they are. And they've played great against a lot of good teams this year. So they are the favorites and should be the favorites in everybody's eyes, even though Brooklyn has Kevin Durant, Kyrie. And if Ben Simmons comes back, they have Ben Simmons. But Boston's a two-seed for a reason. If Brooklyn was as good of a team, they would have been the two seed. They're not. They're the seven seed. So there's a reason for that. And Celtics are seven and three in their last ten games. Brooklyn is six and four in their last ten games. And the Celtics um, are um, nine and seven in, the, in their division. Brooklyn Nets are ten and six in their division. Um, and in the conference, the Celtics are 33 and 19, and the Brooklyn Nets are 31 and 21. And in terms of record-wise, the Celtics have seven games of difference between Brooklyn and Boston. Uh, there's seven-game difference. Boston's biggest challenge is going to be dealing with star power of Durant and Kyrie, and Brooklyn's biggest challenge is dealing with the defense that Boston brings because everyone in the starting lineup for Boston is great on defense. You have Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Al Horford, and if Daniel Tice starts, he's great. If, you know, Derek White starts, he's great. So the Celtics have five great defenders, six great defenders um, uh, on their team with Robert Williams being their seventh great defender, and he's out for this series. Maybe he'll come back at the end, but he's probably going to be out for the first round. They have a lot of great defense, whereas Brooklyn doesn't have the same sort of defense. They have better scoring, better shooting. I mean, Kyrie, Seth Curry, Joe Harris, Kevin Durant, and someone at the center position, they got four three-point shooters and four guys who can score. And they're a deadly team from three and a deadly team on offense. Celtics are a deadly team on defense. And This is probably going to be a somewhat close series. Um, And I think all of these are close, you know, because you think that, you know, these teams can fight it and can kind of battle it out. And Brooklyn is definitely not your average seven seed. Some years you'll have five, six teams that are great, and then your seven and eight kind of limp into the playoffs with the best record of the bunch, but they're not that great. Some years that's how it is. This year, Brooklyn's a team that maybe if they were healthy, maybe if the James Harden thing had worked out, maybe if Ben Simmons comes back healthy, things can kind of change. But Ben Simmons coming into this group, having not played yet, 
it's going to be tough to kind of integrate him into this lineup. And, I mean, are they going to want him to come back? Yes. But I do think at um, the end of the day, they're going to try and put him in there and see how things work. And hopefully it helps them out. But this is not, in my opinion, and this is probably bias uh, a little bit, it's not as close to me as people think. And I don't think the Celtics are the, the underdogs in this one because Durant is in Brooklyn. They're a great team in Boston. And I think, in my opinion, I would have been a lot more worried about Cleveland because of the, the big men that they have compared to Brooklyn and the fact that their big men aren't really that much of a big deal compared to Cleveland. So if Cleveland had beaten Brooklyn, um, honestly, that's a much difficult more difficult situation without Robert Williams than Brooklyn is because Brooklyn's got enough guards and forwards that the Celtics can handle that so this is going to be an interesting series uh basically for a a lot of reasons um that were mentioned but you have two fairly new head coaches Steve uh, Nash was a new head coach last year and you have a new head coach this year and Ida May Udoka, who's been an assistant coach in Brooklyn and all over the NBA and had a obviously not as successful career as um, Steve Nash in the NBA, but was a longtime NBA player and a journeyman. And he was an assistant coach under Greg Popovich and was in Washington and now is in Boston. And I think Udoka is very talented and knows what he's doing. Brad Stevens is somebody who is well-deserving of executive of the year you have Marcus Smart who is easily top three in defensive player of the year if not leading the pack so the Celtics have a great team Tatum could be all NBA first team Brooklyn could be uh you know looking at you know a great you know core going into this playoffs if Ben Simmons can come back healthy and they can kind of fit him in wherever he needs to go most likely they'll probably put him at the five they'll probably have uh Kyrie Seth Curry uh, Joe Harris, Kevin Durant, and Ben Simmons will be your pseudo five, and he'll probably guard Tice or Al Horford or whoever's there. And so, you know, it's going to be an interesting series, and I think this is going to be a fun one to watch because, well, I don't think Brooklyn is the underdog. It's going to be a lot closer than um, maybe what um, I would hope for, and you know, I think um, there's pros and cons to. You know, Brooklyn, there's pros and cons to Cleveland if they played Cleveland. If they were the three seed, there would be pros and cons to playing to sh- Chicago. So at the end of the day, maybe Milwaukee was a little scared of the um, scared of the Brooklyn Nets in comparison to Chicago. But Celtics didn't seem like they were phased. And they wanted the best outcome, and they got the best outcome. And the Celtics are the two seed, and deservedly so. Going from the 11 seed in January to the two seed is a big jump and they're a very good team and they just had to figure it out and I think they did and this is going to be a fun one to watch for the Milwaukee Bucks and the Chicago Bulls this one is an interesting series as well because Chicago at one point in the beginning of the season was fighting with Miami for the top seed in the Eastern Conference when Milwaukee, Philadelphia, Boston, Toronto, Um, A lot of these teams were kind of sliding down the board. We saw, you know, what was Chicago at the top. And, you know, they have Lonzo Ball, who's out right now, but they got DeMar DeRozan. 
They got uh, Vucevic. They have Zach Levine, Kobe White. And for them, they took what was a pretty low bar at, you know, the last two or three years ago and then turned it into Vucevic and all these players that have come in and they've gone from maybe you're a 12 seed to, yeah, you could be a top six team in the Eastern Conference. And I mean, if things had turned out a little better, maybe they could have been top three. But, you know, congratulations to the Chicago Bulls for going from the bottom and having Wendell Carter Jr. being your seventh pick in, you know, sort of the lower tier. They had, uh, I think Patrick Williams was a fifth overall pick. Kobe White was a lottery pick too. Uh, And now you're going to this sort of upper echelon of the Eastern Conference. That's pretty good. Now, Milwaukee won a championship last year, and outside of losing DiVincenzo and bringing in Serge Ibaka, they're the same. They have a a great starting group. They have Bobby Portis, who's been great. They have Pat Connington. They have Grayson Allen, who came in and has been good for them off the bench. Uh, They have Jordan Nwora, who's a good bench piece. They have a great, you know, depth to their rotation, and they have good players all around, and... This is not a team that's going to go down easy, and this is not a team that's going to be one of those teams that goes out and just, you know, lets uh, Chicago roll over. It's going to be a hard-fought series because, you know, Milwaukee's the favorites going into it, and they were the champions last year, and they got that experience. And if you have a healthy Giannis and a healthy Chris Middleton and a healthy Drew Holiday, that is an interesting matchup that any team's going to have to face. And... Well, I do think the Milwaukee-Boston series potential for the you know next round, if they both win, would be very entertaining because of the um, the players they have and the fact that you have Jalen Brown who can guard Chris Middleton and you have Giannis who can guard Tatum and vice versa, and then you have Marcus Smart who's defensive all uh, defensive player of the year potentially, and Drew Holiday who's very great on defense himself. Those are you know matchups that. You know, it's going to be fun to watch if it gets to that point. But Milwaukee's probably, in my opinion, the favorite, if not, you know, the best team that could potentially come out of the Eastern Conference. And I think Boston and Milwaukee, if they can get into that next round of play, whoever wins that's probably coming out of the Eastern Conference because I don't know if Miami has it or Philly or Toronto or, you know, whoever. Um, I just personally think... If Boston wins against Milwaukee, if they can make it that far, they're going to the finals. If Milwaukee beats the Celtics or if Milwaukee beats Brooklyn, they're going to the finals because I don't think the other teams have what it takes against the depth that both Boston and Milwaukee have. And that's just my opinion, um, which obviously that could change, but I do think, um, yeah, that is that. Western Conference, Memphis Grizzlies will be the two-seed taking on the seven-seed Minnesota Timberwolves and I have to say, Minnesota played a great game against the Clippers and deservedly got to this point in the playoff race. And you got to feel bad for Minnesota in a lot of different ways because you have arguably two of the best players in Minnesota Timberwolves history in Kevin Love and Kevin Garnett, both leaving the team, having more success outside of Minnesota. In the case of Kevin Garnett, he won a championship has his number retired in Boston, and has said before that he wishes he had gone to Boston earlier, meaning he wished he played less years in Minnesota and more years in Boston. Kevin Love was 
the next greatest power forward in Minnesota. He went to Cleveland in that Andrew Wiggins deal, and he won a championship and made the finals and has connections with LeBron and has, you know, uh, cemented history in Cleveland. And honestly, no one's really going to think of Kevin Love as a Minnesota Timberwolf, despite having double-double numbers in Minnesota. He's going to be known for bringing Cleveland their first championship in the NBA and being with LeBron. And, you know, Minnesota has Carl Anthony Towns, who may be following in the footsteps of those two predecessors in the sense that maybe he leaves and moves on to a new city and goes and plays for a new team. Maybe he wins a championship. And then how's that going to feel? How, as a Minnesota Timberwolves franchise, will it feel if Carl Anthony Towns leaves, gets traded, whatever, and wins a championship somewhere else? Are players going to want to go to Minnesota if that's the case? I'm happy they made the playoffs because they really haven't done too much in their, at least in my timeline of what the Minnesota Timberwolves are, but it doesn't always look great when your best players play for a few years and then they go somewhere else and win championships and have their numbers retired and, you know, they have all these connections and they're, you know, living the good life somewhere else, right? And Cleveland is really not that different from Minnesota in terms of being a hot spot for talent because besides LeBron James, Cleveland wasn't a big market for basketball and, you know, I think Minnesota's in that same boat, but yet you have one of the greatest to ever play basketball coming back to his hometown team, plus you have Kyrie Irving. Kevin Love's not going to turn that down, and if he gets traded there, he's going to be happy with the outcome. And in the case of Kevin Garnett, he's basically going from a team with no success in the playoffs to a team that's had the most success in the playoffs. So it's hard to turn down, especially if you are in the spotlight with all these superstars who have come before you and all these top-tier talent guys like Larry Bird and Kevin McHale and Bill Russell. And, you know, you don't really have that in Minnesota. And I remember when it was the All-Star Weekend, it was also the 75th anniversary. Carl Anthony Towns was there for, I think he was in the Skills Challenge or the three-point shooting contest. And there was no representation from Minnesota except for Kevin Garnett, who was spending all his time with all the Celtics legends because he's part of that group and there's no Minnesota legends to hang out with because they haven't had any. And so he's hanging out with the the legends of the Celtics because he's a Celtics legend. And, you know, if a team disrespects you, he's not going to, you know, stick around for that. And Minnesota has nothing to show for it on their end. This is a great chance for them to potentially show their wings and show people why they are a franchise that maybe superstars want to come to. But at the same time, you're dealing with one of the hottest teams in basketball who had Tony Allen, Marcus Gasol, Zach Randolph, Mike Conley, and were a solid playoff team for years, and then kind of dropped off once those guys left, and now they have arguably one of the best point guards in the NBA, and arguably, and I'll say this with confidence, the best point guard in the NBA under, um, under uh, 25 years old, because I do think Luka is more of a shooting guard. John Morant's 22 years old, and he's probably the best point guard under uh, 25 years old. So I got to say that. And Memphis has the greatest balance to their team that I've seen in a while because they have John Morant, and they also have Wings, and Dylan Brooks, and Desmond Bain, and they got great pieces. The Jaron Jackson Jr. Stephen Adams power forward center combination has been very lucrative and very uh, successful for them as a team. And, 
what Memphis has done acquiring picks and acquiring assets and adding players in to get to this spot, it's worked out very well. Did they have some nice lottery help uh, in the draft? Yes. Did they have some nice help getting Desmond Bain, who turned out better than they would have expected at the 30th pick? Yes, but it has worked out in a very good way for their team, and they look like uh, star-studded future you know, NBA potential championship team. And this is just the first year of that. And if you're a number two seed and you have John Morant and you got great pieces, it's easy or easier to fill your roster with players that want to come there and help your team and successful players. Yes, they only have one star and that's John Morant, but that doesn't mean their future is going to be just one star. They could down the line go for someone like a Carl Anthony Towns. They could go for, you know, a whole host of different stars down the line and players that could be good fits. If Luka and Dallas doesn't pan out, Memphis could be a spot for him. And I think Luka and John Morant would be the deadliest backcourt in the NBA. So they're a great team. They have a bright future. And they're young. And they have so many great pieces surrounding them. And a good bench and a good core. And their head coach is great. And their team is just built for success. They could really make some, you know, damage and do damage in the playoffs. That's no joke. And I think they're a team that deserves all the credit uh, for what they've done. In terms of this matchup, which is uh, Memphis versus Minnesota, Minnesota has no shot. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think this game is going six. This is probably going four or five in terms of Memphis just wiping the floor with the Timberwolves. And I don't really see this being competitive. This is probably... One of the easier matchups in the first round to predict because I just don't see Minnesota having what it takes to really get it done. And if they somehow can pull it off, that'd be a miracle in my opinion because Memphis is very powerful and very dangerous and they have talent and they're a great team. And it just, to me, seems like there's no stopping them. And I really don't think Minnesota has a fighter's chance in this one. And so maybe to some people, they might think, you know, Minnesota could pull this off if, you know, Carl Anthony Towns has a great game and D'Angelo Russell plays great and you have Anthony Edwards. But I don't think it's Minnesota's time. And I think Memphis is just built better and they're ready to go. And they are the better team. Now, let's look at the Golden State Warriors versus the Denver Nuggets. So the Golden State Warriors probably have the best point guard in the NBA in Steph Curry. And the Denver Nuggets have probably the best center in the NBA in Nikola Jokic. And this is an interesting matchup because Golden State is going to have to rely a lot on Draymond Green to deal with Jokic and also going to have to rely on uh, James Weissman to deal with Jokic, which that's not really something that I would be 100% happy with if I was Golden State because Jokic is amazing. Um... I think Jamal Murray's great on defense, not as great on offense. Golden State has the Splash Brothers, which obviously that's something that every team is going to have to kind of worry about. And also they have uh, All-Star and a starter on the All-Star team, and Andrew Wiggins, who has surprised a lot of people since coming to Golden State. You know, being sort of that overrated first overall pick when he was drafted, traded to um, the Minnesota Timberwolves in the Kevin Love deal. No one really thought he had a bright future. 
after kind of not panning out as well in Minnesota and then got traded to Golden State in a deal that many thought Golden State lost out on at first. He's fit in very well with Golden State. And Andrew Wiggins has played his role very nicely. And is he overpaid? Maybe a little bit, but he's an all-star. And this year has proved to me that he is very good for this system. And he is the right fit in Golden State. And this is just the perfect example of somebody who might not be the best fit somewhere. And they go somewhere else and they're so much better. Not every player is going to be successful in every situation. And part of that is coaching and part of that is, you know, your team. But you got Steph Clay and Draymond in Golden State. Plus you have Steve Kerr. None of those guys are going anywhere anytime soon. So you have some sort of stability if you're Andrew Wiggins. Whereas Minnesota's situation is so up and down. Head coaches could go left, right, and center. You don't really know what the situation is there. Your owner's gone and you have A-Rod now running the show as the owner. It's an interesting and different situation that if you're a player, you can't really flourish in that type of environment because you're focused on, you know, what's going to happen with your team. Whereas in Phoenix or in, you know, Memphis or in Golden State, you know, your coaches are sticking around for a while. Your players are sticking around for a while. You know, Chris Paul and Devin Booker and, you know, Monty Williams, they'll be there in Phoenix. And John Morant's going to be there in Memphis. And Golden State's going to have Steph Clay, Draymond, and Steve Kerr. So it's a great situation for Andrew Wiggins. He's done very well in Golden State. Denver, I just don't think they have it. Six games is probably the top, top, top. More likely than not, there'll be five-game series here. And I think Golden State and Memphis will face off as the 2-3 matchup. I just don't see any situation in which Golden State loses this to Denver. Because they got the veterans who have been there, who have been in these runs, who have made it to the finals and won finals games. And do the Golden State Warriors have bigger holes at the big man position than Denver? Yes, but Denver doesn't have the shooting and the scoring that Golden State has. And at any point in time, Steph, Clay, or Andrew Wiggins, and now Jordan Poole has proven himself as maybe most improved player of the year, they can all shoot lights out, and they can all score. And those are guys that, if they get hot, they get hot. And, you know, Steph Curry could get you 50 points in a game, and then the next night, Clay could get you 30 points. And then the next night, Andrew Wiggins could get you 30 points. And it's just, you got to deal with that. And as much as Jokic can do, there's only so much. And if your other guys can't really do it, then there's not much else I can say. So, unfortunately, for the... Uh, Denver Nuggets, this is a short-lived series they'll have to deal with next year in hopes that they can get just a little bit better. But I don't see Golden State losing this one. I don't see Memphis losing. I don't see Boston losing. I don't see Minnesota losing. And I'd be surprised if those teams are anywhere else but in the second round when it comes time for it, in just my opinion. Again, that could change, but they're all strong, and I think it's going to be a battle at the top. And honestly, I think the top four teams are going to be fighting um, to see who gets to the NBA Finals. And yeah, it's going to be an interesting, you know, bunch of games to start off. And that's kind of where we're at right there. And, you know, now next podcast, we're going to look at the one seed, the four seed, the matchups there. And we're going to see how, you know, potentially Miami does in the first round, Phoenix, uh, etc and go from there so 
that's going to be next podcast and you know that will be our focus uh for that